may know that uh, this morning we are ending our series that we've had going here called Staying the Course. And this morning, David Townsend is going to come and minister to us on the subject of reward. I've known David and uh, his wife now for a couple of decades. They were contemporaries of ours when we began our first church back in the 80s. They also had a church of multiple hundreds. And David and Anne come to us to serve, to love, to give. They're part of our elder team here. And it's been a long time since we've heard David in the pulpit. We're glad to have him back. And um, David, I've really been looking forward to uh, this part, the last part of the series on rewards. So come, my brother, and let's welcome David Townsend. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. So, yeah, this is our last series, uh, part of the series on staying the course. And I know that looks a lot different for everybody. So just stand real quick and take your Bible. I think it's important that we make our declaration. So you just got seated. We can stand again. <laughs> just whatever device you use, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Hey, I wanted to just share a little bit about me. Most of you don't know me, and I've known Pastor Jeff and his wife forever since the Pope is an altar boy, so, you know, but uh, a little bit about me. Uh, Actually, was born and raised right here in Denver. I really have never shared this story, but uh, uh, born right here in Denver, and on my 14th birthday, I left home. I knew that I was not going back. My mom and dad had went to a rough divorce, and, and my mom and I had had it with each other. And on my 14th birthday, I left home, knew I was never going back, and made some solid decisions. So I lied about my age and went to work. I worked for Samsonite, and I had a little apartment out in Westminster, and I put myself through high school. I graduated from Random High School, and I was actually their very first graduating class. Ivor C. Random was my principal. And uh, two weeks after I graduated, I was drafted into the military got my draft notice, so I went to, I did my combat training in the 18th Airborne Corps in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We were training to go to Vietnam with the 82nd, and when we went on, came down on orders to go, I came down on orders to go into a military intelligence unit in Europe. So all my friends went to Vietnam, I went to Europe, Uh, I felt bad for a couple of minutes, and I I spent the next couple of years in Europe, the last six months I was there, I played baseball. We traveled. My, my CO loved uh, baseball, and he put together a team. We traveled all through Europe and played baseball. Came home and wanted to be an FBI agent, so I went to college. And my second year in college, my little sister married a Denver policeman. He said, hey, if you come on the cops, we'll pay for your school. So I went on the Denver Police Department, spent the last five years on the SWAT team there. I was a boxer, was boxing, uh, semi-pro, and got to be Muhammad Ali's bodyguard. In fact, we became pretty good friends. I have a picture of him and I in the ring together. It was actually the front page of the Rocky Mountain News. And we became pretty good friends. Uh, And so, yeah, uh, last four years, I was on the SWAT team. I got born again. So God, my friend said, man, you needed Jesus. (laughs) And so I was that guy who needed Jesus. (laughs) So got born again, and I went to Bible college. And uh, during that time, I met my wife in Baba College, and we got married, and we pastored in Denver for a little over 30 years, and here we are. So, love the Lord, uh, love His Word, and love what 
Pastor Jeff brought us staying the course. Because I know to many of us, to all of us, that may look different to you. What I think about staying the course, you may think something different. So I'm going to share with you my idea. You know, we talked about the cost. I know Don shared uh, the cost of staying the course. And, and then Chad was able to share with us, you know, the passion in staying the course. I'm talking about, about rewards, and I'm just thankful that I got that because I wouldn't know how to share the cost of staying. I mean, it's never cost me anything, so to be honest with you, it's just been an amazing ride with Jesus. And so, but staying the course, because you and I both know that the major part of American Christianity is uh, uh, performance-based. So we know that. I mean, most churches we go to, most Christians we talk to, we live in a performance-based society. Uh, Christianity in America today is mostly fear-based. It is not faith-based, not Christ-centered. So I'm so thankful for a church that you and I, I mean, we take for granted often what Pastor Jeff brings to us, but I'll tell you, that you have to come to a place like this to hear that word, and we need to hear it often. Staying the course, finishing, finishing no matter what. You know, making a decision that you're going to finish this course, run the race, no matter what the people around you are doing, because you and I both know that. We live in a very new age, progressive society. And they call it that. I call it degressive, but we can call it whatever we want to. We live in that society where anything goes. And so you're going to hear a lot of things. I mean, we do. We, I mean, you know, we just out and about, we hear a lot of things, a lot of crazy things. We hear absurd things. That, and people that Christians, we hear from them. You know, decisions that people are making that are completely opposite from the Word of God. And that's where we always need to go is God's Word. You know, the Bible says if you don't add anything to this or take, don't take anything away from it, because God's Word is the truth. So... You know, taking God's Word, that is where we learn, and I think today we need to make up our minds that, you know, right here, right now, I'm going to stay the course with God. This is the course I'm going to stay, and I'm going to share with you what that means to me, because, as I said earlier, it means a lot to, dip, to it means different to a lot of us, but the major challenge of staying the course to me is in our home and with our children, am I right? I mean... That's a big challenge because everybody has their opinion on how we should raise our kids, how we raise them, what we do with them, how we should act and react at home. And so I'm thankful that God's Word has laid out for us how we raise our children, how we love our spouse, and how we uh, live in our home. So I want to read to you a story. I'll share with you a story. I heard a story the other day on Facebook and really read the story, and it really really piqued my interest. So the guy said, uh, he said, I'm an atheist, and if I found an envelope full of money, I would return it. And I would return it for the right reason. He said, most of my friends that are Christian would probably return it also, but they would return it for the wrong reason. He said, most of the people I know that would return that envelope of money would return it out of a fear of what God would do to them if they didn't return it. And sadly, that is what most Christians have projected to the world today. Sadly, it's what the world has received from us, a performance-based, fear-based Christianity. And so, uh, 
A confidence, we don't, we don't, we, we're not projecting that confidence in who we are in Christ. See, we, we have got to know who we are. It is time that we, all of us in this room, we understand who we are in Christ. So that we're not, I'm okay, I'm not okay, I'm okay, I'm not okay. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so either you're okay or you're not okay. And so we need to project that to those around us who we really are. Because that is what we've projected. Jesus condemned Christianity, I mean religion. I think most of us realize that when we read the Gospels and realize the very thing that Christ condemned harshly was religion. Then were the Pharisees of his day, the religious men and women of his day, that Jesus harshly condemned. So I'm just going to say this right up front. Stay away from, avoid at all costs, religious people. They're judgmental, they're mean and cruel, and uh, stay away from them. So the the Bible says, let me turn to... I mean, stay away from them. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Really what he said was, He who knew, knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for him who knew no righteousness, us, might be made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let me read that in the Amplified. He made Christ who knew no sin to judiciously be sin on our behalf, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. Listen, you can't earn that. You can't earn that. That was something that Christ did for us so that he who knew no sin became sin so that he, us, who knew no righteousness might be made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not according to our performance. It has nothing to do with what we've done at all. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. And so God didn't judge us according to our performance. He doesn't see that at all. God has already judged us according to his son's performance, and God deemed him perfect. <coughs> and so now the Bible says that you and I are in him. So if we're in him, we're hidden in Christ, and Christ has been made to be perfect, then what does that make us? In fact, the writer of Hebrews said that because of the blood that Jesus shed, that one final sacrifice he made the worshipers to be perfect. See, we hear all the time, well, I'm only human. I'm not perfect. But the truth is, you have been made to be perfect. And you should stop saying those words. Because Christ made us, because of the, the sacrifice that he, that he shed, he made us to be perfect in him. So that we are perfect. We are perfect in him. So that may look different to you, but that's who we are in God. So in Christ, we've been made to be the righteousness of God. So that we are God's, Christ was made to be perfect, sinless. We're in him. We're perfect and sinless. So he loves us according to his word. See, God is all love. I love that song we sung because... God is all light. We hear things, people say things all the time, well, it happened for a reason. And we hear that, and sometimes you may use that. But what we really mean was, well, that happened for a reason. That's something God did for a reason. No, it's not. 
So most of the things that happened, God had nothing to do with. So it may have happened for a reason, but not for the reason that you're using that term. See, what the de devil made for harm, God used for good. And so we use that term, but everything doesn't happen for a reason or for the reason that you think God made happen for you. Absolutely not. <coughs> Listen, you are one with God. Have you ever heard that? I mean, you've read the scripture, I'm one with God. Have you ever really thought about what it means to be one with God? Have you ever really thought about what it means to be one with God? Because understanding that you're one with God becomes your highest form of who you are. Until I understand who I am in God, I've not reached the highest form of who I am. And remember now, death has no equity in it. And so it's not once I die, then I'll have... That is, this is why we're here. And your highest form is understanding that you're one with God. You are one with God as the wave is one with the ocean. My wife and I just took our three oldest grandchildren on a cruise. We just got back yesterday. <coughs> Spent about four or five days on the ocean. And, and as you stand on that ship and you watch the wave and the ocean and you recognize they are one. And it is the ocean that drives the wave as it is God that drives us. Because I am one with him. So the statement, see, so as the wave is being driven or, or played out by the ocean, we're, you and I are being played out by God. So the statement that, <coughs> that you, you and I are one with God is really a form of reality. So we talk about reality, but most of us don't know what reality really is. The reality is, I and the Father are one. And that, do you have any water that I can, thank you. <coughs> so, thank you. The reality is <coughs> that I, me and the Father are one. And so, God is not, see, oftentimes we look at God as this, this heavenly vending machine that when we drop a quarter, our prayer in, he dispenses what we need. And so that's not who God is at all. I hope we all understand that. God is not this heavenly vending machine that when we drop our prayer in, God dispenses out what we, what we need. See, we're one with God, so therefore prayer is not an act of asking. See, we, we think of prayer, we look at prayer as, you know, at dropping that quarter in that prayer and ask, waiting for God to dispense the answer because we look at prayer as something that we're asking, but it is really prayer is an activity of being in the presence of God. Yeah. Prayer is an activity of being in God's presence rather than asking because if you and I are one with God, God's DNA is in us, who are we to ask God for anything? See, you need to realize that you and God are co-creators. Yeah, right. If I don't like my life, I can create it. We're, we're, I'm a co-creator with God so that prayer becomes an activity of being in the presence of God, gaining the strength and the wisdom from God to handle whatever situation we're in. See, I, I think of a story, reminds me of a story that I think is so powerful and often we forget Remember when Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage. So when they left Egypt, which meant bondage, <coughs> he brought the, <coughs> God's people out of bondage. And they were headed to the promised land. And the Egyptians had let them go with all of their wealth. 
and they changed their mind. And so here's Moses and a few million people, and they're headed towards the promised land, and now the Egyptians in their chariots are chasing them down. You ever feel like that? You got born again, and all of a sudden the enemy's breathing down your neck? Well, maybe I'm the only one, but I've felt that way many times. So they get to the, this place called the Red Sea, and now here's Moses and about two million uh, Israelis, and they're standing, and they're faced the Red Sea, and on both sides are the impassable mountains. And what did Moses do? Moses dropped to his knee, and he began to pray. Man, if, a, if, if there was, ever was a time for man to drop to his knee, it's right there. But what did God say? Moses, get up. You stretch forth your rod, and you part the Red Sea. See, so often we get in those situations, and we drop to our knees, and we're praying and asking God <clears throat> to do something that God has already given you and I the authority to do on our behalf. So God said, Moses, get up. What are you doing on your knee asking me to do something that I have empowered you to do? Because Moses, we're co-creators here. We're doing this together. I've given you the rod. Now you take your rod, you stretch forth. So whatever the situation you're in, you take that rod, the name of Jesus, and you co-create with God. See, the judgment that you may feel you deserve has already been paid for. I thank God for that every day, that the judgment that oftentimes we feel like we deserve has already been paid for. So, you know, we are told, commanded many times, not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And most of us live there. If I make a decision that I'm not going to any longer eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because I'm going to tell you right now, nothing good ever came out of that. If I made the decision that I'm not going to eat from that tree any longer, I've also made the decision that I'm going to love the way God loves. That means I can't judge anybody anymore for anything, not the way they look, not the way they act, not anything about them that I just have to love as Christ loved. So how do I stay the course? How do I run my race? How do I stick it out? How do I run the race that God put me to? Here's what Paul said. Paul said, awaken to righteousness and sin not. <coughs> See, that many of us, staying the course, running the race, means that we work really hard, we are, we're performance-based, and, and, you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to pray 45 minutes a day, I'm going to read, I'm, all, and all them things are great to do. I hope you do that. But I hope you're doing it for your own personal growth rather than to get in right graces with God. <coughs> because I'm telling you right now, you will never be in better right standing with God than you are right now. You'll never be in, God, you'll never be in better standing with God than you are right now. And so there are certain things that, yes, we should do, but Paul said, awake to righteousness and sin not. So many, most of the American Christianity is, we have this idea if we awaken to sin, we'll sin not. That's why the pulpits pound sin. And I thank God that I've never heard Pastor Jeff ever pound sin from this pulpit. 
because he understands that my, my race, my course is not awakening to sin, it's awakening to righteousness. See, the law is the power of sin. If you want to live the law, then you need to realize that the law is the power of sin. Without the law, there's no sin. And so you and I can't live out the law. And so now, we must live as the righteousness of God. So how do I do that? Awake to righteousness. You have to, there has to come a time in your Christian life (coughs) that you know who you are. There has to come a time when we understand who we are in Christ. That it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and through me. That I am his ambassador. And so that I am the righteousness of God. See that word, we take the word righteousness as something good, when in reality, if you look it up in your concordance, the word righteous really means to be in right standing with. I am in right standing with God. And it doesn't matter if I'm standing here behind the pulpit, or I'm out in the parking lot, or I'm in traffic, uh, reacting the way many of us do. Uh, doesn't matter. I'm in right standing with God. doesn't matter what, I, what, what I'm doing. And so understanding who you are in God is where the reward comes from. See, the reward doesn't come from us feeling, you know, I'm okay, I'm not okay, I'm okay, I'm not okay. There is no reward in that. That becomes a very unstable life. The reward comes in knowing who I am in Christ. The reward comes for, for staying the course, <clears throat> not, not the religious course that the world and many, many Christians want to put on you, that has nothing to do with my performance. That's not stay in the courts, you guys. Stay in the courts is not performing well. When you awake to righteousness, that is, that is, when I awake, when I awoke to who I was in God, see, there was a time, probably in everybody in this room, there was a time when I was all about performance-based. <coughs> I left home when I was 14, I had no parental, my whole life I had no, no parental guidance. I was their guidance, to be quite honest with you. And so when I left home at 14, I had no parental guidance. I had something inside of me that knew what was right and wrong, as we all do. But as my friends on the police department said, you needed Jesus. I needed to know who I was in God. And when I met Christ... I became a very performance-based, trying to clean up what I had messed up. And then one day became a revelation that I couldn't do that. That somebody had to do that for me. And that Christ had already done, he had already cleaned that mess up for me. And now I become the righteousness of God in Christ. And when that happened and I understood, became a revelation. See, that's when things change. The Bible says, upon this revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When things become a revelation, when that became a revelation in me, then the gates of hell couldn't prevail. See, every time when that became a revelation to me, then when hell tried to tell me, you're bad, you're wrong, that revelation overcame, 
and wasn't able to do that anymore. We need a revelation of who we are in Christ. I am one with the Father. You are one with the Father. His DNA flows through you. The same power that is in Christ is in you and I. That same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I. Jesus said, the things that I've done, why do you marvel at what I've done? The things I've done, you're going to do an even greater. So understanding the authority that God has given us, who we are in Christ, that we are sons and daughters. See, at one time in the gospel it says that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. Right? He didn't stop there. Jesus was not the only begotten Son of God. He was. Then you and I began to get born again, and now he's the firstborn among many brethren. He is no longer the only begotten Son of God. You and I are sons and daughters of Almighty God. Wow. I don't know if that, that does it. It gives me God bumps. To realize that I had no parental guidance but all the time, my Heavenly Father was, was there. And now, him and I share DNA. It's the course that Jesus put on you and I. Not the course that religion has put on us. Not the course of performance and fear-based. It's the course of who we are in Christ. The course of, of faith-based, a confidence. Paul said in, in uh, Hebrews, cast not away your confidence. Because out of that is your recompense of reward. We don't use that word recompense anymore, but figure it out. But he said, don't cast away your confidence. Doesn't matter what you're doing and where you're at, because out of that becomes your payday. My confidence in who I am in Christ is my payday. That's my reward. I have no reward outside of that. Because I tried that for a long time. Many, all of you, everyone in this room tried that at one time, had that work out for you. Not so good. And so my reward came from once I became confident in who I was in Christ. The course of Jesus, the course of sonship and daughtership, made to be in right standing with God. Made to be standing right with God. Not because of my performance, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, stay the course. Stay that course. Stay in confidence, knowing who you are in Christ. Don't keep going back and forth. I'm okay, I'm not okay. I had a great day, I'm okay. I screwed up today, I'm not okay. And we're back and forth and back and forth and we become unstable. Settle it once and for all. Church, this has to be settled. I mean, to me, it is the, the centerpiece of Christianity. And it has to be settled. The centerpiece of Christianity is your right standing with God. And so, stay the course. Settle it once and for all. Jesus died for your sins. Past, present, and future. And I know that's hard to grasp, and you're probably not going to grasp it from just hearing it one time. But you've got to settle the fact that Jesus died for your sins past, present, and future. But not only did he die for your sin, he became sin. Yes. See, that to me is even more. I can go do something for my children, but if I can become that for them... So Jesus not only died for our sins, he became sin for us. Christ, 
who knew no sin became sin, for those of us who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God in him. So you need to settle it once and for all. He became sin so that you and I didn't have to be punished for sin. <clears throat> Matthew 6.33 is a reward in staying the course. Here's what Jesus said. This is the very first verse I ever memorized. So probably for many of us in this room, it's my very first memory verse, and I still remember it. 40 years later, how about that, Jeff? I have to pull out my driver's license sometimes to remember who I am, but I remember that <laughs> verse. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. Let me ask you a question. Can his righteousness provide for you everything you need? So we, that's easy to come out of our mouth, but do you really believe it? Because here's what Jesus really said. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what is that to you? Well, I can tell you the kingdom of God is. It's God's way of doing things. The kingdom of God is simply God's way of doing things. So seek first God's way of doing things and your right standing in him. And all these things should be added unto you. Isn't that interesting? That when you seek first God's way of doing things, God's thoughts, God's reaction, his way of doing things, and your right standing in him, he said, all these things that everybody else seeks after, I will add unto you. Let me tell you a story. My wife and I were pastoring, and we had, we were in a storefront up off of about 30th and Youngfield. And we were there for a while. And one day I was sitting in my office, and some lady came in, and she introduced herself, and she said, I have a church building that I want you to look at. Well, we weren't even looking. We mean, we had, that was the farthest thing from my mind. And I said, well, we're really not looking for a church. And she said, I'm going to be honest with you. God sent me here. And she said, you're supposed to go with me and look at this church. So I was very reluctant. That's my personality. And I thought if God told you, he should have told me first. <laughs> but I went. She was pretty convincing. And I went, and we went to this building at 30th and Newland. And it was a big church building. And then it had a huge gymnasium with a kitchen and an apartment on the gymnasium. And then it had a three-bedroom home all attached to this church. We went in, and so she started showing me around, and oh my gosh, it was a mess. It was a mess. It was absolutely a disaster. And so I just said to her, wow, I mean, this would have to be God for me to even consider this. So anyway, we, we looked around, and uh, the apartment over the gym was a flat roof, and it had the snow and everything had brought the roof in, and I mean, it was, it was a mess. So we left, and, and I went back and began to pray, and God said to me, it's yours. And so I wasn't sure I wanted it. <laughs> so that Sunday after church, I grabbed our elders, 
And I said, let's go down and take a look at this building. So we went down, and we went through it, and we prayed together, and every one of my elders, without uh, fail, every one of them said, this is, this is God. So we, we began to check into it, and we found out that the four-square church owned the building, and it hadn't been, uh, it had been vacant for quite a while, and they were out of Colorado Springs, so the real estate lady who came to see me, she just said, I have no idea. I don't know anything about it. I just felt like God told me to lead you to this building. I don't even think she had it. She did not have it up for listing. So, in fact, I don't remember ever seeing her again. So I called the Foursquare Church, set an appointment, and went up and sat down with the, the director of the churches. Uh, and we sat down, and I told him that we liked the building. We'd like to go into it. We wanted to go into it with a two-year lease because it was going to take that long to clean it up. And so we would like to move into it under, with a two-year lease. And at the end of two years, we would buy it for 225000 And up to that point, I, he wanted, uh, wanted 1500 a month, and I said, I'll give you 700 a month because it's going to cost us 700 a month to clean it up. So anyway, long story short, he agreed. We signed the contract. 700 a month for two years. At the end of two years, we had to buy it. So we went in and we cleaned this place up. I mean, it, it was when, at the end of two years, it was absolutely beautiful. And by then, it was worth twice the, what we were paying for it. And so, but I'm thinking, so we were so busy for those two years, I didn't think about this balloon payment coming up until about a month or two before it happened. Well, they sent me a letter and said, hey, on whatever day, May 15th, uh, we're either closing or you're out because we know the building's worth 10 times what we sold it to you for. So I said, okay. So I, I, we didn't have no money. We had zero money. Everything we took in as a church went out. We had 35 outreach ministers. We had a youth home, a, a, a women's home, a men's home. We had under-the-bridge ministry. We, had, we were busing in 400 people, feeding them. I mean, we were, everything that came in the church was going right back into the community. We had zero money. And so... I just went to the Lord, and, and God said to me, sell the house. And so I didn't own it. He said, sell the house. So there, one of the elders in the church, Faith Bible Chapel on Ward Road, was a realtor. So I went to him. I said, hey, Mark, here's what we do. We, we're not, we don't own the building at all. We're leasing it. And God told me to sell the house. And so I'm here. Maybe you can help me. And he said, yeah. He said, get it on the market. I'll sell it for you. So anyway, I found out that it was attached. The sewer and the water and everything was attached to the church and the gym. They were all one. Had to separate it. So I went to the city, got a permit, and I separated the house from the church. Uh, I think we spent about $10,000 to do that. Separated everything, built a fence around the house. And so anyway, long story short, we were closing on the church, say, on the 15th of May, and this this realtor found a buyer for the house cash, 100000 cash. And so I went to him and said, will you trust me for about two hours with your $100,000? Because I don't own the building yet. I can't sell it to you until I own it. But I need your cash to own it. So we completely subdivided the house, didn't even own it. 
subdivided it. Yeah, didn't own it. Didn't have nothing. We, we our, my name was on the lease. That was it. Subdivided the house. Sold the house. <laughs> set the closing date. Went to closing. The guy that was buying the house from us met me at the closing for the church at 9 in the morning. He handed me $100,000 cash. Closed on the church. Handed the church that owned it $100,000. They signed over everything to me. Two hours later, we closed on the house. We signed it over to him, and that was what, what happened. Yeah. Years later, when we sold that building, we sold it for a little over 800000 That is God's way of doing things. That is knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. You've got to settle it once and for all. God has already died for your sin, past, present, and future. He became sin so that you become in right standing with him, settled, done deal. You can't back out of it. You can't earn it. It's already done. And so Jesus said that if you'll seek first that kingdom and your right standing with him, I will add all these things to you. I'm going to close with a story. New Testament Saul king of Israel had a mistress who had a child and Saul was killed and when Saul was killed the child was about five years old Mephibosheth was his name and his mother fled with the child and ended up dropping him broke both of his legs and he became crippled and they ended up in a place called Lodabar. So Lodabar in our world would be South Chicago. It would be five points downtown Denver. The word means uh, desert, dry, desolate. It was a desolate place. And here is a child of a king living in desolation crippled, so he ate from the crumbs of the tables of where other people ate. In other words, he would hang out at Starbucks, and when they, they ate their whatever and the crumbs, he ate the crumbs from the table. David became king, and David had a covenant with Saul and Jonathan to take care of Saul's descendants. And David knew about Mephibosheth, and sought him out. And when Mephibosheth, when he was found, and when he found out who he was. See, he had been living in poverty. Living, eating the crumbs of, from other people's table. Because he didn't know who he was. When he was found, and found out who he was, the Bible says that he that the king removed him from Lodabar and took him to Jerusalem and brought him into the royal house and he ate at the table of David from that day on. See, many of us, we've lived in lack and we've lived in poverty and we've lived way below who we are, not knowing who we are, even as Christians. 
We've lived this menial life of despair and dryness, not knowing who we are. But Christ had a covenant with your father to seek you out. As David had a covenant with Saul. And when David found Mephibosheth, he brought him out of Lodabar, brought him into Jerusalem, into royalty, and he ate at the table of the king from that day on. Is there a reward in you finding out who you are in Christ? There absolutely is. Christ wants you out of Lodabar and back to the table of royalty where we're no longer living in lack and need and despair in a place of loneliness and <clears throat> God wants you to eat from the table of royalty knowing that you have been made to be in right standing with God as his son and his daughter. Let's stand together this morning. I'm going to ask you this morning to make a decision, not for me, but make a decision for you and your family. See, it's generational. When I learned who I was, I taught my children. Now my children are teaching their children. My wife and I just got back from a cruise from three of our teenage children, or our grandchildren, that was probably one of the best times we've ever had simply because my grandchildren know who they are in Christ Jesus. Because it became generational. Do it for you. Do it for your kids. Do it for your grandkids. Do it for generations to come. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. Stop the performance based. Get in faith. And understand that you are already in right standing with God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. So thankful that Jesus, you became a sin for us. That sin no longer has the effect on us. Because we are in right standing with God. We are in you. We are your ambassadors. We are like Mephibosheth. We were sought out by the king. Brought out of lack and out of despair into a place of royalty where we're to live our days out in that position. We are positioned with Christ. Father, give us revelation. I pray today that God, this word becomes revelation. That, that upon that revelation, God, the gates of hell will not prevail. That no longer will we be in that position of trying and attempting to work our way into your grace. But knowing we've already been there because of what Jesus did for us. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Jeff. Amen.